Welcome to the Dream Bigger Podcast. Today, I have someone super exciting on the show. It is none other than Nicola Kilner, the co-founder and CEO of one of the biggest, baddest beauty brands in the world, Desiem. If you haven't heard of Desiem, then you have most definitely heard of The Ordinary, the ridiculously affordably priced but super effective skincare line, which really shook up the beauty world. For those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Sif and I'm the founder of Icing and Glitter, which is a blog, Instagram page, and YouTube channel. All right, so before we get into the show, I want to tell you about my must-have for the holidays, Array's Bloat Alchemy Capsules. Array is an all-natural line of wellness supplements, which work in under an hour. The bloat ones are a must-have. I take them after a big dinner and boom, my food baby is gone and I no longer have to unbutton my jeans. Array is filler-free, vegan, gluten-free, nut-free, and of course, all-natural. Use the code DREAMBIGGER for 10% off at checkout. You can thank me later. As always, guys, I really appreciate any support you can show the podcast. Rating and reviewing the show really helps us grow and most importantly, helps me gauge what kind of topics you enjoy so I can bring you more of it. With that said, let's welcome Nicola Kilner to the Dream Bigger podcast. Okay, Nicola. So since you're the co-founder and CEO of one of the biggest beauty brands in the world, um, I wanted to ask off, start off by asking rather um, how you got to where you are. So walk us through how you became the co-founder of Desium. So I worked at Boots in the UK, uh, mm-hmm. which is probably the equivalent of kind of a Rexall shopper's drug yeah. mart. Um, and I worked at their head office as a beauty buyer, which is how I met Brandon. Brandon was at his previous uh, beauty business, which another uh, Canadian brand, Indeed, Indeed Labs. Yeah. Um, so that's how we met during his time there. And I remember the first time I met Brandon, he just, he was... You couldn't help but fall in love with him. Like, he touched everyone. Like, even if you were in his kind of company for 30 seconds, he would have a lasting impression. And he was just full of so much energy and passion and charisma. You know, it's one of those, I remember getting an email or a text, and I would just get so excited because, Aww. I don't know, he was just full of kind of personality. So then he left Indeed Labs and he we stayed in touch and he was like, I want to kind of do Desiem. There was something else I had thought about doing, which was kind of called Beauty Wise. Uh, so he was like, come and do Desiem with me. Um, sorry, I think Brian wants to come in. Yeah, that, of course. Come on in. <laughs> yeah. Um, so so I joined Desiem. So back in 2013, where we were less than a handful of people, lots of just big ideas. And, you know, in the early days of being a beauty startup, you you really do it all. You do everything from, I mean, Brandon and myself, everyone in the office team, we'd be actually making the products. We'd be on the tube sealing machines. We'd wow. be uh, working through the night. You'd go home, you'd have two hours sleep and you'd come back again. It was, but it was just so exciting. There was so much adrenaline because, you know, in the early days. And also, you know, the, the industry's changed a lot. Back in 2013, you really relied on retailers to help make your brand. And that meant when you got a purchase order from a big retailer, you said yes. Whether you had the means to actually fulfill it or not, you just found a way to do it. Whereas I think for a brand starting out today, there's a lot more channels which are in your control. Like people now trust, you can create your own website, you can kind of sell direct. Uh, But back in 2013, we really were relying a lot more on the retailers. So effectively, you know, we would just wear 
every hat and Brandon and I just worked hand in hand he would focus more on the um kind of with Pridvi in the lab um he would focus more on kind of the the parts that were always based in Toronto such as kind of finance and uh, production and then I would focus a lot more on kind of more of the the kind of brand side and the partnerships kind of building our global offices spending kind of time in in new markets to kind of get to know what's happening there Uh, but really you know it was just a very fun time where you're you know I think the business ran on iMessage for a long time (laughs) and but you know it was just very fun like there was a lot of kind of playful memories and you know that was kind of Brandon's nature he had an incredible sense of humor he was a big practical joker um so even when times were stressful you never felt it because you were just having fun together with some of your best friends I love that and I think like I mean so many like great founder stories start out that way where like you know they were just having a good time hustling so I think it's great so why a beauty brand though because it is a very saturated space so I feel like anyone who jumps into that industry they're like brave you know so like what was your usp like why did you think you guys could create a beauty brand that would really set like you know do something completely different well i think it's a very crowded industry but i sometimes think it's not a very competitive industry because actually for so long so many people were just doing the same thing right um, which is a lot of crowd but not a lot of competition and i think the thing we realized very quickly is you know, we had far less money and far less resource than anyone else in the industry. So if we were to just do the same as them, ultimately we would fail. And so that's really why we try to kind of think about things differently. And I think being an incubator, so bringing everything in-house, allowed us to kind of test a lot of different things. So DCM comes from the Latin word for the number 10. And the idea is we would build 10 brands at once. And, wild. you know, we would build brands that you don't see today because as much as we love the concept they clearly didn't resonate and sales weren't there and eventually those brands died and then you have a brand like the ordinary which we launched more to make a point around neod is truly innovative using new technologies kind of different to what else is out there in the market and we'd get frustrated when it would be compared to other products and you know the products it was compared to it really did work like there's a lot of good products out there in skincare but I think the frustration was when people are talking about ingredients as new when actually they've been around for a long time so the ordinary was to say look if you want these ingredients they are incredible and you know I always say if if you have a headache and you want to go buy ibuprofen you would never walk into a pharmacy and see it for three dollars thirty dollars three hundred dollars but you know ibuprofen it's going to work, it's safe, it's been around for so many years. And the healthcare industry has been very transparent in that way, where you, as a consumer, do understand the ingredients, you understand the concentration they should be, and you understand roughly the price points, and you kind of know that actually own label versus brands, potentially not too much difference in, in kind of what you're actually buying. But it's that transparency that was really missing in the world of skincare, which was what the ordinary um kind of really aimed to be but you know the ordinary was our 11th brand so I think on reflection actually doing the model of trying to do 10 different brands at once was one where it allowed us to have this safe to fail culture where we could take risks and we could try things because you can think you might know what other people like but ultimately you don't until you actually launch something and you have to see you know 
before you get a million people to like you, you really need a thousand people to love you. And those kind of initial adopters are kind of what really make or break a brand. I mean, so many follow-up questions. First is, so you guys just initially from the get-go had in-house manufacturing, which is so unique because Mm -hmm. a lot of brands, I know that initially when they're starting out, they outsource. Um, Like, how did you how did you, you know, decide that that was the right way to go? Because that's, I'm guessing, a big investment, no? Well, it it is a big investment, but I mean, you can buy small machines. Like when you see our manufacturing now, the size of the machines, there's no comparison. We were using very small machines. There's a lot more manual machines. But the problem when you use a, a third party manufacturer, you end up in a risky position because when you use a third party manufacturer you have to commit to a certain amount of stock right and you might have a product that actually you really believe in but for whatever reason it's just not resonating with people and you end up sometimes having to make the wrong decisions if you're making your decisions based on what you've got in stock and it can also go the other way where actually people might fall in love with that product but then you're then out of stock for six months because you've got to wait for your contract manufacturer to find time to make it again. And, you know, one of the things that kind of it allowed us to do is in the, you know, when we started to do any new brand, we would order enough for very small quantities. And, you know, there's a lot of ingredients that are common across different skincare products, different beauty products. So actually, it meant that we had kind of raw materials that could be used in different products. So from kind of a wastage perspective, it allowed us really to just make what we need so that our risk was a lot lower, so that we could test more things. Um, And then ultimately we could follow where the demand was as opposed to having to make decisions based on where our supply was. So smart, because I just, I've rarely heard stories where, you know, brands just right from the get-go start manufacturing in-house. And I think that that has really allowed you guys to be so quick with what you produce and what you take off the shelves if you feel like it's not resonating. And I think, like, really it's been, like, the key to the sort of, like, massive success you guys have had because you're able to move so quickly, which is awesome. So just going back to how you were saying that, like, before you get 100,000 people to fall in love with you, you need 1,000, you need 100, you know? So initially, how did you guys start getting people to you know, talk about you and take notice of what you were doing? Well, again, back in kind of 2013, when we first started, uh, and the UK was really the first market we launched into, we're very, in the UK, the beauty press are very influential, and they're very critical as well. But we were very fortunate that they they liked what we were doing. Um, we had a non Brendan had a non compete on facial skincare. So for the first three years of Desium, we couldn't do anything for the face, wow. uh, which is why our first few brands were, you know, the chemistry brand, which was focused on hand and body. Uh, we had a different hair care brand, and um, so we were trying to kind of go into different categories. So, kind of when we first started, we were really, I think, you know, the press they can see through a lot of the kind of cloud in the, in the industry and they could see that actually we we were trying to do things differently whereas I think in the last couple of years obviously the power of community has just grown so much you know through social through different platforms and I feel like actually now that's how if we launch a new brand or a new product it's through things through you know there's a on Facebook there's a, a group called the ordinary and decim chat room that has over a hundred thousand members in of people just it's nothing to do with us it was kind of set up by joanne an amazing lady in spain and, and this is just fans sharing their experience asking questions um 
which is just amazing to kind of see that education growing. Uh, yesterday, on oh, sorry, on, on Monday on Reddit, we were one of the first ever skincare brands to do a uh, Ask Me Anything, which we did with Pridvi, our chief scientific officer. So I think now really there are so many community spaces, uh, podcasts, YouTube, like there are so many different places now for education it's an exciting place to be when launching new products um, and new brands so if like a a young person came to you or an entrepreneur you know they're just starting their business and they came to you and they're like Nicola you know like what do I do in today's landscape what would you recommend like how how would you recommend that in today's landscape they get the word out about their brand I think you have to be patient it takes time and I think it it's all about it being organic. You can't force anything on anyone. I think if you if you really believe in what you're doing, then I think it takes time and I think it's just building it up with every person counts, every person has, a, has an impact and eventually that starts to scale up. And um, so I think, you know, really going to channels where people, there's integrity because again, you have to really pick through you know, one of the things that we've done is we've never paid any influencers. And actually, it's something we're not very comfortable with because influencers have bills to pay, <laughs> just like everyone. And actually, they really help us as, as brands. And it's something that we're trying to really find a way where we can can support them. But the challenge with skincare, people are so skeptical. So as soon as it looks like you're paying for an endorsement, people think, well, surely that, that must not work. Um, so I think kind of, you know, trying to pick channels where actually it is authentic. You can't, you can't buy passion. It never works. You have to really find authentic sources to kind of people that have similar values that want to share your story. I have definitely heard that as well, actually, from some other founders as well, where they are reluctant to get into, um, influencer marketing not because they know that it won't be I guess that influencers have no effect on the ability to promote their product but more so for exactly the reason that you said that I think that people like just general consumers can be inundated with like ads and so as soon as they see ad like by an influencer and they see that the prod they're being paid for that promotion they could just assume that it's you know like they're just being paid for it to talk so I think it's really interesting that you say that and like you know you're thinking of how to overcome I guess that little obstacle or whatever so yeah I'm excited to see where that goes thank you so let's get specific and talk about the different brands under um under Decium. so there's like Niod, the ordinary obviously which is the most popular one and um like hylamide there's a few different ones that you guys have but what is the difference between each of them so we have three facial skincare brands yeah um which is neod hylamide and the ordinary and I guess what makes Neod different to Hylamide and The Ordinary is Neod has this long-term focus on skin health, whereas Hylamide and The Ordinary have, I mean, they, they target lots of different concerns, but they, you know, have things for, for kind of aging as an example. And in Neod, we, we see Neod like a technology brand. You think about Apple iPhone 6, 7, 8, 10, technology is forever evolving. So the Neod formulations, you will start to see a second formulation a third formulation because it will always keep up with those um new ingredients that come out 
And, you know, the other key difference with Neod is it has this long-term focus on skin health. So Neod will never have an acid because we know acids are great short-term for the skin, but I don't think there's been a long enough study to see the build-up of stripping your skin over and over again for kind of 30 or 40 years. Um, so Neod is around saying, even if it takes longer, let's focus on skin health. Let's focus on getting our skin to behave in its best possible way. And if we do that, then the results will follow in other areas. So even though Neod would be our more expensive out of the three brands, you probably see the slowest results because it's a different approach. The Ordinary was about taking commodity ingredients. So these are ingredients that have been around for a long time. They are very studied, very proven with their efficacy. They're things that really do work and again, the ibuprofen example it's it's kind of that healthcare example of it, it doesn't matter about price point the price point is the price point because you know ultimately the the more manufacturers that can make a, a molecule in the world the price comes down and um, the more the longer it's been around the less studies that have to go into it because again like ibuprofen you everyone's aware of what the claims are and kind mm-hmm. of what that molecule can do so the ordering was really about bringing transparency to look, this is what the ingredient is, this is the concentration, and this is the price for that ingredient. Um, and, you know, the ordering is a lot more, uh, it works quite quickly in most of the cases because they're very focused molecules. Mm-hmm. So hyalamide is more of a minimalist approach. It's around saying, actually, if you want to trust that we have all of the science, but you don't necessarily want to get into the details of which ingredients should you be using, Hylamide has it covered. There's a core series uh, where you've got sub-Q skin, you've got sub-Q eyes, and then you can pick different boosters to, to bring into that. So interesting. Okay, so... I guess then getting back to like what you're saying about, say, for example, ibuprofen and like, yeah, I mean, you're so right where like you don't go to the drugstore and the discrepancy between ibuprofen is like $3 and 300 you know, but then here we have that in skincare. So like, do you think that there's like, or rather, would you say based on your experience having created this brand that like there isn't a big difference between like, say, for example, you know, a $15 hyaluronic as opposed to a $500 hyaluronic acid? Well, I think the challenge is at the moment it's so difficult to see what the difference is to consumers. Right. You know, it's... Inculus are, are difficult to read and they're, they're not always kind of... Um, there's different ways they can be manipulated, I think, that makes it kind of hard to really have that transparency. Right. And that's what the ordinaries really try to do, to say, look, the more transparent we are, the more educated consumers become, the better the better it will be for everyone in the skincare industry because skincare really does work. You really have molecules which make a huge difference to lives. Um, and I think, you know, the more... It's an industry where there's been a lot of skepticism and... Even the best ingredient in the world won't work for everyone. It depends on your genetics, your skin type, the season, climate of where you live. And the ordering, again, will allow you to understand, you know, maybe you tried granactive retinoid and it didn't work for your skin. But then you can actually say, okay, that ingredient isn't for me. I'm now going to try vitamin C. And actually this version of vitamin C really works with my skin. So it just puts the, I think, the power back with the consumer to have that knowledge and ultimately, if people are getting better results because they are now using the right ingredients for them, their skin, 
that's good for the longevity of the industry that we all love. I think also it it does give people the the power to experiment with those ingredients and not feel bad about it if something doesn't work out. Because like, I mean, I have younger people in my audience who are interested in trying specific skincare ingredients and you know this way like with the ordinary with a brand like the ordinary they are able to sort of dabble in all those different ingredients and see okay like this is something that I'm seeing results with but you know if I'm not then it's $15 you know I haven't spent $500 and like having to feel bad about it so I think like it's it's nice because it does give people who maybe haven't had any experience with skincare maybe don't have big budgets to sort of dip their toes into it which is awesome there's really i i don't know many other brands that are so efficacious at such a price point which is awesome thank you so with neod is it neod or niod it's neod okay it's neod okay cool (laughs) so with that you were saying it's more like almost like a like a tech brand and you guys focus on like the longevity of um results you see so are you guys doing also a lot of innovation with neod Yes, so actually one of our most recent launches was our CAIL, our copper amino isolate lipid, uh, which is from the family of copper peptides, which I think is an ingredient. um, It's probably the one that as a company we are very much behind. We believe everyone should have some form of copper peptides in their skin routine. Um, And, you know, the lab's constantly looking at the new technologies, assessing them. Do they add something different? There's no point adding something for the sake of it. Um, Actually, here in our our new HQ, we're we're actually just opening our own clinical uh, lab, microbiology lab. So, again, we can continue to push this testing further and further. Um, And, you know, there's updates within products. So when we first launched our multi-molecular hyaluronic complex, it had 12 different technologies in. The version now has 15 different technologies in. So the team are forever reviewing what's out there, what's new, will it add a a benefit, and then updating the formulas as necessary. Very cool. And so just since we are on the topic of copper peptides, like what what value do they add? Like what do they do? What's special about them? So copper peptides really focus on skin health and you know, our skin actually utilizes copper for repair, but it can only utilize its copper with copper peptides. And as we age, we run out of copper peptides. And actually, there was a a very big study done on the um, wound repairing ability of copper, which was actually done on war veterans uh, who had been injured. Uh, So even if you ever just have kind of a shaving cut or something, if you put copper peptides on, you're going to see the speed of, of the healing of the skin. That's wild. I didn't know that. That is incredibly cool. I'm definitely going to be trying the copper peptide, like everything you guys have now. Um, Okay, so right now, loofah and how how do you say it? H-I-I-F or HIF? Oh, HIF. Yes. Is that how you say it? Yes, HIF. Okay, so why don't you tell everyone what those two do? So Loof is our Bath and Body brand where we have one uh, skew out at the moment, but that's going to be relaunched towards the end of 2020. Uh, so we have a full range of amazing fragrances, different Bath and Body lifestyle products coming out. And then HIF, so HIF stands for Hair is Fabric. And as soon as the hair leaves the hair follicle, the hair's actually dead. So from that sense, it has a lot of similar properties to fabric. Um, so at the moment, we have two cleansing conditioners within HIF. But again, that's a range which 
is under redevelopment at the moment and we're looking forward to expanding into hair care again hopefully late 2020 very cool so when you guys do come up with a new line or when you uh, yeah like I guess let's let's get into like when you do introduce a new line like what how is that decision made? Is it based on maybe a new sort of technology that your team has discovered? Or is it like an ingredient that is really hot right now? Like, how do you guys make that decision? So I think one thing that's different about us is our um, NPD team. So that stands for new product development. They actually sit in our lab and they sit under our kind of scientific team. Whereas within most companies, it tends to sit under kind of more brand and marketing teams. And for us, innovation and how we come up with new concepts, it should come from the lab because it should be driven by science. Because when it's driven by you know a traditional marketing team, it usually has a sales focus on it, which it works for most businesses out there. But at Desium, you know, we we want to be different, and we believe that actually for us, the right thing is that it's driven by what the lab team is seeing not what we're seeing as a as a trend and thinking we should kind of jump on it. Uh, that's not what would make sense for kind of our, our kind of Destian values. Okay, I like that. Um, so everything is basically rooted in science, which is awesome. Okay, so I have actually a very specific question, which is about your line fountain, because it, it, it was there like, what was it, last year? And then it's been pulled? Is It's been yes. pulled, right? Okay. Why? Like, I'm just curious because it was so popular. Yeah. So, the you know, the challenge is we found him when we launched it, which would have been five years ago. It truly was exceptional in terms of supplements. It was in the liquid formats. It was really using these kind of technologies um, in kind of the best way possible. And then the reality is we, we didn't put enough attention onto that brand. And that was, a, you know, the ordinary exploded and we only had so much resource in the company and we had kind of various different things happening. And ultimately it came to a point where we actually looked at Fountain and we said, this isn't, they're still good products, but actually there are now new technologies out there. And if we don't believe what we have is outstanding when it comes to innovation, we would rather not sell it. So at some point Fountain will come back to life, but it's it's a category that takes time to really understand it. So. It's not going to be a quick fix where we can kind of update a few formulas and kind of be back to the, the front of the market again. It's going to just uh, take some time to really develop that concept. I like that. It's it's transparent. And obviously, you guys have a lot of integrity because you do look at reformulating to make sure you're keeping up with the time. So I think it's awesome. I hope it comes back. Um, I'll, I'll definitely be looking out for it. Um, OK, so getting back into the business side of things. So Estee Lauder came in as a minority shareholder when the company was actually quite still young. Could you walk me through the process of raising that money? Like, how did that whole decision come around? And how S, like, how did Estee Lauder come come about, like, you know, investing in such a young brand? So that was back in 2017. Um, so at that point, the business was four years old. And, you know, as a startup, it's, it's difficult. You need oh, yeah. to, to get positive cash flow. And it's not it's not even about making profit, it's about making sure that actually you stay you afloat. Have enough, yeah. <laughs> to keep the lights on at the end of each month. And we just launched the ordinary a couple of months earlier at the end of twenty sixteen. And we could kind of see in the first few months there it was something that was starting to kind of scale. So we we honestly needed the cash investment so that we could uh, increase our production facilities, we could get a larger space. 
So we started the process of looking for a minority investor and we'd spoken to a few different a, um, private equity firms uh, and a couple of the big conglomerates. And with the private equity firms, we didn't like there was, and again, this isn't a criticism, it's just it wasn't right for us. They they have targets, they have within a few years, they need to kind of sell it, they need to get a high return. And it just we didn't want to kind of have to define what that ending looked like so soon. And actually, when we first spoke with Estee Lauder companies, it was actually towards the end of the process. And the deal actually happened from the first time we met them to the deal closing was eight weeks, which I think is probably a record in the M&A world to, to kind of, especially with a company the size of ELC. But there was just such a chemistry between Brandon, between Leonard, between everyone we met there. You know, Brandon always said, if I could ever pick a forever home for Desiem, it's Estee Lauder Company. Wow. And because it worked out. <laughs> ultimately, they they have some of the best beauty brands in the world. Absolutely. And they, they really care about their brands. I think they're another company that, despite being a, a, a huge public company, they put brand first and business second. And I think that's something that's really aligned with our core values. Um, so it just felt that actually, long term, it could be a happy home one day for Desiem. I think it's awesome. And it, it is a good fit. And honestly, Estee Lauder does have, I think, some of the world's best beauty brands under that umbrella. So it worked out really, really well. So um, in 2018, obviously, you guys went through a period of turbulence within the company. And I remember your stores were shut down for a couple of days. And Brandon was eventually let go as CEO. Can you share what that time looked like and how the company came out still strong? It was a very hard, hard year for all of us because Brandon wasn't, he wasn't just a CEO. He was one of our, a best friend to many of us. He yeah. was a family. He was a colleague. He was someone that we all loved. He He had such a good heart. He was a very good person with this incredible personality and aura around him. When you're watching someone you love effectively self-destruct in front of you and you're all powerless, it's a really difficult thing to go through. And, you know, forever thankful that the team really stuck together. Everyone everyone had a viewpoint that, look, we have to make sure Desiem survives this so that when Brandon gets better, his baby is still here for him. And sadly the ending happened that no one ever wanted or ever thought thought would kind of be be the end of that journey um but yeah forever brandon would have been forever thankful for everyone's loyalty love um and support that we've had over the the difficult time um when you guys shut stores honestly you guys when you did come out of it it was like it was as though nothing had happened which i think it says a lot about how the situation was fully handled obviously like very it shows very strong leadership and like ability to like sort of bounce back really quickly so like that's huge on your leadership team well i think actually it was the leadership of every single colleague at SEM yeah who, who even when things were tough they were still working in the background and again yeah. it was just this commitment around let's keep Desiem so when Brandon's better he can come back and, and kind of be the, our leader again yeah I mean I went I actually went to the ordinary store on like in Yorkville the day after you guys opened and it, it wasn't like crazy in there it was just so professional and it was that literally as though it wasn't shut the day before it was crazy so really like obviously well done um as as a leader how did you navigate Brandon's um untimely death because 
I'm sure that was a complete shock to everyone who worked in the company. I mean, it was, it was a shock to the world, you know? And how, how did you navigate that situation? I think the same way we treated 2018, just with love, compassion, patience, and actually a celebration for what a remarkable life he had and how forever grateful we all are. You know, the nice thing about Desium is there are so many of our team who actually had so much time with Brandon. So he he lives on in every one of them. He lives on in this our new building. He picked this building. He was involved in kind of the concept. And I think it really was just... Brandon gave so much love to all of us that we had a lot of love to give back. That's beautiful. Um, switching over to a little, like a lighter note, um, I was wondering, what are your top five products from all the Decium brands? Like, if someone is completely new, what are the five products you'd recommend to them? Well, it's difficult because my favorites might not necessarily be. I guess there's well, two let, things. Well, so, let's talk so about your anyone, favorites. Well, I was going to say for anyone who is kind of new to skincare and it's hard to ever recommend something for everyone but I think if someone didn't have any kind of specific skincare concerns we'd always say an antioxidant which I usually use either the EUK 134 or at the moment I've been using Pycnogenol because I've been flying a lot more from um, which which brands from the ordinary okay uh, so yeah, the ordinary has some really good antioxidants. Or in the odd, we've got survival, which is a, a very good uh, formulation as well. So definitely an antioxidant, always an SPF. Um, so at the moment, well, we're actually launching some new SPFs in the ordinary, which will be launched next May. Uh, they're exciting. actually they're actually ready, but um, SPFs take so long for re- regulatory to get approved. So that's why it's probably the product that has the longest time between being finished and being able to sell to consumers. Um, so definitely an SPF, uh, always something with copper peptide. So I, I tend to use CIS and CIL, which is the neod versions. What are the, what's the difference between um, the two? The CIL has a higher affinity to the skin, but I tend to use CIS in the morning and then CIL, the lipid version, in the evening. Um, if I'm in a rush, I have an 11-month-old baby, so sometimes I, I don't have as much time as I would like to do a skincare routine. Then we have a product in the ordinary, which is our buffet with copper peptides, which is one of those serums where it has so many different peptides and technologies in it. really covers you from, from lots of different um, angles of, of concerns around aging. And what's your, like, what are your top favorites? Like, I mean, you've named so, a couple of yeah. them. So those would be in their Pycnogenol, the, well, CIS, CIL. Uh, love Sanskrit Saponins is kind of a cleaning treatment from, from Neod. Love the photography fluid from Neod. I love our foundation. Uh, Colors in the Ordinary, I'm 2.1Y. Um, love, why well, most of my routine ends up being a lot of lab samples because we try, well, everything come out, I definitely try. Uh, so it often ends up having a few um, different random pipettes in there as well. Very cool. So last question. I love asking people about their morning routines. So I'm wondering if you have any rituals that really set you up for success during the day. Uh, well, I guess my morning routines change a lot. So my baby uh, girl was born last December, so she's almost one. So now she is my morning ritual. So <laughs> I love when uh, I hear her on the monitor wake up kind of with her little kind of bubble talking. Aww. So I love going in and getting her, kind of nursing her in the morning. Uh, yeah, she. as soon as I see her smile, she's so smiley and giggly in the morning. So she's just a, a bundle of happiness to start my day. That's so cute. It's like a, an alarm clock and like a burst of happiness yeah. all in one. <laughs> um, 
to finish off, where can everyone find you? Social media, website, all this sort of thing. Um, Desiem. Desiem, your own if um, you want, whatever. Yeah. Uh, well, so our Desiem website, desiem.com. Our Instagram is Desiem. My personal one is Nicola L. Kilner. Uh, so yeah, we're on all of those. Amazing. Thank you so much, Nicola. Thank you very much.